Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, thanks for letting us be part of your day. We're going to talk markets today with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. We're going to look at pork exports, especially to China with Aaron Bohr, economist for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. We're going to take a look at what's going on not only with the hog market, but what's going on with uh, packing plants and capacity and line speeds. We're going to talk about all that with Steve Meyer, economist with Partners for Production Agriculture. Of course, a couple of big items in the news that we are watching. The uh, Senate passing the Growing Climate Solutions Act, and many in agriculture are uh, expressing their support of that. And uh, we should point out, though, it will have a tougher go in the House, so we wait to see what happens there. Also, even though the president uh, had a big announcement concerning a deal on infrastructure yesterday, that has a ways to go as well, and uh, certainly it's uh, a long ways from being a done deal. So we'll keep a close watch on, on those items, and we're waiting for that Supreme Court ruling on the RFS. So lots going on. We'll be talking much more about all those items coming up on Monday. But we're going to talk about another big story right now, and that is weather, as we've been spending a lot of time talking about how dry it's been. A lot of places are very wet now. Joining us is the director of the Midwest USDA Midwest Climate Hub, Dennis Toddy. Dennis, thanks for joining us. I'm seeing some places that have received six, seven, eight inches of rain so far. Uh, even more. There are pockets around the St. Joe, Missouri area that have received up to 10 inches of rainfall. Yeah, there's a pocket. There's much of northern Missouri, uh, part of southern Iowa, received uh, very good rainfalls uh, through the day into this morning with a, a line of fairly heavy rainfalls kind of arcing from St. Joe, Missouri, you know, around the Kansas City area, then to central Missouri, you know, widespread six to eight in that 10-inch area. So that's a really good situation down there, not the heavier rainfalls, but a couple inches of rainfall for an area that is, was starting to dry out. Uh, unfortunately, you know, so far, some of our worst drought areas are still missing some of this precipitation. I was going to say, how widespread is this band of uh, rain? Well, it's really interesting uh, and, and a really big shift from something we had seen recently where the, you know, the southeast U.S. has been getting most of the rainfall. Um, you know, the recent rainfalls have kind of been from eastern Kansas, you know, the last 24 hours, eastern Kansas up to, oh, northern Illinois, southern Wisconsin. Uh, we do expect more rainfalls kind of over this similar area. Uh, there's another product we use from NOAA that, uh, you know, is looking at total precipitation over the next seven days, and most of this is focused in the next few days from Oklahoma through Missouri up through northern Illinois up to southern Michigan. Uh, another several inches of rainfall are possible over the next few days and next seven days. So, again, yeah. that is over an area. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, that's quite a system that covers a big area, and it extends for quite a while. I mean, as you said, really over the next week, a lot of these areas have chances of rain. It really is interesting, because what's happened is finally, you know, we talk about flow off the Gulf, getting moisture from the Gulf of Mexico up to us. 
And there have been several systems at upper levels in the atmosphere that are kind of working across to help set off these. And that pattern, the jet stream pattern, is going that, that area from the southern plains up to around the Great Lakes area with several repeated possible events uh, over the next several days in that region. Good, again, good for some folks, not good for some other folks. Yeah, with this kind of heavy rain in some places, are we are we looking at some flooding concerns? Uh, there already has been. Uh, you know, in Missouri, parts of southern Iowa I saw, uh, and with the expected additional rainfall, going through the odd situation of going from very dry soils in some places to, to uh, seeing some flooding possible. Again, this, there's a lot of soil moisture capacity, so we can take up some of this, and that will be a good thing. But, you know, when, once you get in that three, four, five-plus range, uh, the soils are not going to take that up in the time frame that it's falling, and we are going to get some, some runoff and flooding in some places. What about high winds and hail? We've been hearing about some of isolated cases of uh, some severe storms. Sure. Uh, very much uh, a possibility with these. Uh, the, the concern with these is, le- well, I won't say that. There are some severe uh, chances possible, uh, at least in the next day. It's looking like in the southern portion of this. Um, but the, the more concern, I guess, has been about the amount of rainfall rather than the, the widespread severe but definitely, you know, summertime convection can lead to high winds, hail. They don't think tornadoes were as big a concern with this, but that hail and high winds are, are uh, probably bigger concerns related to it. But some dry areas are staying dry. And, and that really is the case. You know, this is catching at the, the southern edge of the driest areas and, and the southern part of the Corn Belt, which has been starting to dry out. That area from Nebraska and northern Iowa to the north and west in the Dakotas and Minnesota will get a little bit of rainfall out of this, which will be helpful, along with some cooler temperatures, which has really been helpful for them. But, you know, the, the worst of the crop condition reports are in that, you know, the Dakotas over to Minnesota and, and parts of Iowa, uh, you know, won't get as much help out of this. Cooler temperatures will help ease some of the problems they've had, but we flat out need to get some water in the soils up there, and the system is not quite going to do this. Yeah, and what's blocking the uh, the rain there? Is there a certain system that that's just set up to keep them from getting rain? Well, what we've got happening is, you know, you've been hearing people talking, or the the the, the weather folks talking about very warm temperatures in the Pacific Northwest. We've got a big ridge of high pressure that's going to be sitting over the northwestern U.S. And if you think about an area of high pressure, you think about you know the the counterclockwise circulation or excuse me, clockwise circulation. So you get the jet kind of coming up over the top of that ridge to Canada, and then bringing air down out of Canada in the central U.S. So that's helping bring some of the cooler air, but as we know, air out of Canada doesn't bring that much moisture along with it. So the cooler air is good, but the 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 cooler but the the, the uh, lack of moisture along with that, and then we've got kind of the, a boundary just south of there, right along where this rainfall is going to occur. That's kind of keeping that moisture from being able to move too far north, unfortunately. Yeah, so a lot of rain in some places and hardly any in others. Wish we could, we say this a lot, it seems like every year, wish we could uh, kind of even that out, share that a little bit. 
sure, I sure wish we could. And, and you know, you're seeing that condition affecting different crops. Those northern plains small grains are really showing the effects of this lack of rainfall and corn soybeans up in that area, while the rest of the corn belt is is starting to see a little improvement. Yep, we'll watch those crop uh, condition ratings as they come out, and, and of course, uh, keep an eye on all this weather moving through. Dennis, thank you for the update. Appreciate it. Happy to do it. You guys take care. All right, Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. So up to 10 inches of rain so far in some places, and still more coming, while other places stay very, very dry. Up next, we're going to talk about the situation in packing plants, a big debate over line speeds. Uh, We'll take a look at the hog market and outlook there as well. Steve Meyer, economist for Partners for Production Agriculture, joins us next right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Waters of the U.S. back in the news. Let's talk it over with Chuck Connor, president of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. It took four years to get that controversial 2015 Obama rule changed. Now this administration proposing to change it again. What are your thoughts? We just can't believe after arduous four-year effort to fix this controversial rule, thought we were done with it, and now we learn we're not It looks like the Biden administration is wanting to go back to something in the 2015 uh, rule range. And when I traveled the countryside during that period, there was nothing more opposed by farmers and landowners out there than that original 2015 rule. Unfortunately, it looks like there is an effort to go back and use that as a basis again. And I think agriculture will rise up once again in strong opposition to this. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. 
So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, several members of Congress are calling upon the Biden administration and uh, Secretary Vilsack to appeal that recent federal district court ruling that um, basically would slow down line speeds at packing plants. Let's talk about that with Steve Meyer, economist for Partners for Production Agriculture. Steve, good to talk with you. You've talked before about how that court ruling could be very costly to pork producers. It can be, Mike. Um, you know, it's one of those, it's very frustrating because um, the producers aren't party to the situation between this judge and and the courts and uh, the injunction that she re- issued on behalf, uh, in response to a suit from the uh, United uh, Food and Commercial Workers Union. And so it's up to USDA to defend their rule, and they haven't indicated they're going to do that yet. So it's quite uh, quite frustrating. You know, this thing's going to take about two and a half percent of our our uh, slaughter capacity out beginning next week or late next week, and uh, that really comes into play in the fourth quarter uh, when we have you know the lion's share of pigs come to uh, you know, on a quarterly basis come to, to market in the fourth quarter, and so it could really uh, make things tight again in the fourth quarter. And again, the, the problem on it is that it's quite frustrating. And, and the decision by the judge in Minnesota is not about, uh, not not directly about the safety of workers. It's about USDA not following the proper procedures and promulgating the final rules. And so, uh, you know, you uh, you get whacked on a technicality and you really don't say anything, have any say in the thing. That's that's pretty frustrating. So we wait to see what USDA's response will be to this call again for them to appeal the decision. Meanwhile, there's been a lot of focus, a lot of discussion about uh, concerning uh, concerning cattle markets and efforts to increase uh, packer space, uh, uh, opening up new plants and more ind- uh, grants for independent plants to uh, get going. Uh, how does this impact the, the pork industry, Steve, and what's the situation there? Well, we're in pretty good shape on capacity now. Now, we were going to be tight this fall. The Hudson Picks report yesterday indicates we might be in a little better shape in the fourth quarter than we thought. But still, I mean, uh, anytime you have a growing industry, you're going to run into packing capacity at some point unless you're adding packing capacity to go. You know, we had an important announcement there last week when Whole Stone Foods announced that they had purchased property in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, to build a new plant. Uh, that plant, as right now, according to the announcement, wouldn't be up and operational until 2025. But you got to plan these things way ahead of time, and so that's a positive for us. Um, yeah, you know, the government is going to try to throw some things. They they have this idea that small plants are the answer. I'm afraid. Uh, I'm really afraid that's not the case because there is a reason we have big packing plants, and that's called economies of scale. And so. Unless you do something to add value to that product on the other side to make up for your diseconomies of scale, you may not be competitive. 
But the packing, uh, the, the the beef industry is in a, a, a pickle here because they don't have enough capacity. They've, re, you know, the, the cow herd has, has responded over the last three or four years. And in their case, it's such a long, long time period. Now we're cutting back cows. Two years from now, we probably won't have enough cattle to support the capacity that's out there. and You'll have excess capacity. And so um, it's a tough thing for them because they can't react very quickly to this. You know, this whole situation of tight capacity now, it goes all the way back to the droughts of 2011 and 12 when we cut cattle numbers uh, drastically and closed some plant packing plants because they didn't have enough cattle to run them. So um, it's a tough situation for the beef business. We were in that same shape the fall of 2016, and the problem is is when you get in a tight capacity day, uh, situation, uh, the leverage goes to the packer, their margins are really good, and they have no incentive to build another plant because it just means lower margins. And so beef is in that position now. I, I don't know what the best answer to it is. I'm afraid that a whole bunch of small plants, or even several small plants, probably isn't the answer because I do know there's substantial economies of scale here. Hmm, very interesting. We're talking with Steve Meyer, economist for Partners for Production Agriculture. All right, Steve, we've uh, seen some ups and downs in the hog market. Uh, what do you, what's your outlook? Well, I think we had a come-back-to-reality thing on the futures market the last two or three weeks. I think it was pretty overbought. Uh, we've had a situation here where we didn't have enough spot market hogs to support uh, the needs of packers from a product standpoint against a very strong demand-driven uh, wholesale market, and they went out and chased some hogs, and that's the reason we've got hogs way above what the cutout value, at least the spot market hogs, above the cutout value right now. And we're going we're gonna to rectify that over time. But I still think hog prices are going to be good, and yesterday's report tells me that the fourth quarter is probably a little better than what we thought. In fact, I've still got hog prices around 90 for the fourth quarter, and um, you know th- that that's a really good hog price. Uh, it might not be a really good hog price in the face of six dollar or six fifty corn or whatever, which is still possible in this situation. I'm in Springfield, Illinois today. We got lots of rain here last night, and so, but northern Iowa, southern Minnesota has not, and so the cost situation is uh, tenuous at best. Uh, on this crop and whether we can get the kind of yield we need to keep these these costs in line. The saving grace to some degree is a really strong soybean oil market uh, that has made uh, soybean meal uh, much more affordable than it otherwise would have been. So uh, I think there's, uh, you know, I think we're still going to have a good year this year. Uh, Next year could be a good year depending on what the size of this crop is. And I wanted to get your thoughts, again, with so much focus on the cattle market situation right now, and and you have uh, uh, Congress looking into it and asking questions, and seems to be a struggle for consensus on uh, on the situation and what to do about it. What are your thoughts, Steve, as an economist, about bringing the government in to try to address markets? Well, um, I, you know, I, I always tell people um, I'm a member of no organized political party. I am a Republican, um, and key on the organized there. Um, and so I, I, I think we're better off when we have the least government involvement that we, than, than we can. Now, with that being said, you have to have the government there to set the basic rules of play. And we have done that in the past, uh, and we've done that uh, effectively, I think. The situation in the cattle markets, though, again, is really 
a very tight packing supply, packing capacity, relative to the supply of market-ready cattle. And, you know, there are people who say, well, we need to, there's too much concentration. I don't think concentration has anything to do with it. I think you can take those plants and put them in different companies' hands and you'll have the same thing because you still don't have any more capacity. So this is a situation that doesn't fit our economic models that, uh, you know, the regulators and I learned about in, in economics school in that it's constrained. It has a constraint thrown in it that we really haven't dealt with in the past. And it's, it's, it's a problem. And, and so how do you, how do you encourage capacity without encouraging too much capacity, which means that the packing community can't make money? Um, I, I think one of the, the answers here is, and I, I've been a proponent of this for a while, Mike, is let's get, a, let's get the packers and the producers on the same side of the market. Uh, let's quit fighting over the value of the cutout value and let's split it in an equitable way all the time. And, and, and to me, that makes a lot of sense. Now, finding how to do that equitably might be a very difficult thing. And the problem is it's going to be really hard to do that on an individual company basis, which our antitrust laws require markets to do. So uh, I believe we're going to have to have some new paradigms about the way we approach this. And I've been a proponent for on the hard market. Let's go to the cutout value and 88% of the cutout value goes to the producer and 12% plus the drop goes to the packer. And then the packer's job is to add value to that product on the other side to try to make a better profit. Uh, I, I, that makes a lot of sense to me. But again, how do you get there without colluding and violating the antitrust laws? I think that's a, that's a real challenge for us. Hmm, very interesting. Steve, appreciate your thoughts, your perspective. Wow, if I'd have known you were so close to me, you're only 30 miles away. We could have just hooked up, done this uh, face-to-face. <laughs> Welcome to <laughs> Illinois. <laughs> well, I didn't I didn't realize you were that close. I thought we would have set that up. So, yeah. Yep. Good, good to talk with you, Steve. Safe travels. Thanks a lot. You bet. Have a good day. Bye. Steve Meyer, economist for Partners for Production Agriculture. Interesting thoughts there on the situation with the, the markets and packing plants. And, yeah, when you start thinking about how long it takes to build a plant, the, the resources it takes to build a plant, and what's a tight situation now on, on capacity uh, it might be a completely different one by the time you get the plant open. So there's a lot of factors in all of this, and uh, interesting Steve's thoughts and suggestions and perspectives on on this issue that's very much uh, in the minds of especially those in the cattle industry right now as members of congress take a look at the situation all right we'll talk more a little bit later about pork exports but up next we're going to talk markets with matt bennett with agmarket.net we look ahead to next week's big usda report and much more of course the rain a big factor as well in markets we'll talk about all that next on aoa Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Each and every day, DTN and progressive farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom, covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. 
Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. Yesterday, more daily export sales were announced by the USDA with 132,000 tons of soybeans sold to China and 260,000 tons of soybeans sold to unknown destinations. This morning, sharply lower prices in corn and soybeans. Spring wheat seems to be the lone light. On the Board of Trade, July corn trading nine and a fraction lower at 6.44. September down nine and a half cent at 5.39 and three quarters. For soybeans, August down eight cents at thirteen twenty six. The November contract down nine and a half cent at twelve eighty two and a fraction. For wheat, Chicago wheat September down seven and a half cent at six forty four and a half cent. Kansas City wheat September down three and three quarters at six ten and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat July up six and three quarters at eight sixteen. The September contract up five and a fraction at eight ten and a half cent. Cattle found some stability on Thursday, which may continue today as the cattle on feed report will be released after the market close. Box beef finally slowed its descent, ending mixed Thursday with choice cuts down $4.63 and select cuts up $0.73. Export sales were respectable with an increase of 31% over the previous week. China was the third largest buyer. Hog futures have yet to uncover solid support, but the end of the week could provide some short covering. On the Board of Trade, August Live Cattle trading 52 cents lower at 122.10. The October contract down 67 at 127.60. For feeders, August down 5 cents at 157.10. September up 2 cents at 159.22. Lean hogs, the August contract up $2.05 at 101.77. The October contract up 97 at 84.17. In the outside markets, the Dow is up 227 points. The Nasdaq composite down 2. The S&P 500 up 12. Crude oil, New York, the August contract up 27 cents at 73.57 per barrel. You're listening to AOA. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, the question many are asking others today, how much rain have you received so far? How much rain are you getting after going quite a while in many areas uh, 
needing some rain. Not all the areas that are dry are getting the rain, as we talked about earlier, but many are, and some are getting a lot. Let's talk about that with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net in East Central Illinois. Matt, how much rain have you got so far? Uh, you know, we had about uh, 5,500 last night, and then we yesterday and last night, and then so far today, we're pushing an inch. Uh, we're not too far from there, so uh, we haven't had the gigantic totals that you've heard from some people, but at the same time, we've gotten rain. We're feeling pretty good about it. I just hope that we don't end up with a big flood, which uh, I know a lot of people are dealing with here this morning. Well, I'm I'm on the other side of the state from you, and we're where I'm at, about two and a half to three inches, and then we're getting these reports of uh, six, seven, eight, up to ten inches in parts of uh, uh, Missouri and into, uh, you know, around parts of Kansas and Iowa. So some really heavy places, and the others are hardly getting any rain at all. Yeah, I know. It's definitely a tale of uh, two stories for a lot of folks. You know, we get into the Dakotas, get into Minnesota, and North, uh, northwestern Iowa, is, I mean, there's a pretty good section there uh, that folks are just not getting rain. And unfortunately, it's it's a pretty big section. And so I guess from my vantage point, um, it's going to be really hard to handicap this crop size uh, whenever you've got people that, you know, might be talking about, let's face it, record yields. And some people might be talking about half a crop. So uh, next week's definitely going to shed a lot of light on total production because we're going to find out you know, just how much wiggle room we've got if, if we do end up with a lot more acres, and that's the, that's the general feeling. Uh, but at the same time, uh, this weather, by all means, has just been really erratic this year. Yeah, I guess I was thinking markets, too. Uh, boy, when they see rain like this, uh, whether it's widespread or not, and, and whether it's uh, too much or too little, they just see rain, and the, uh, <laughs> that usually makes them think, well, it's going to be a big crop. So they, do, they, do markets react that way, that uh, they assume now that it's going to be a big crop? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really hard to get a rally on too much rain. I mean, we've seen that time and time again. Uh, the only year I really remember that being the case uh, uh, would have been back in 93 when you had the huge flood. Uh, and I was, uh, you know, right out of high school, but uh, I do remember that well because I just started farming a couple of years previous to that. And in my part of the world, we had just enough rain and we had a huge crop, uh, whereas over, uh, you know, into Iowa, into western Illinois, and a lot of areas south of there, uh, there was obviously a lot of flooding. So um, definitely uh, the only year I remember where too much rain ended up causing the rally in the long run. Uh, from my uh, thought process, I've got to think that um, you know, there's a lot more other things going on, though, this year. I mean, you've got just unprecedented Chinese demand for corn, uh, for protein in total, and that simply cannot be ignored, you know. And so uh, given the fact that Brazil's supreme crop is so much smaller, it throws a monkey wrench in this whole situation. I think if Brazil had a huge supreme crop, uh, you know, you would not be seeing the kind of price levels that we're seeing given the rain that we've had. So uh, it's impressive to note uh, that Mike, as we sit here and talk about uh, prices falling so much over the last uh, uh, several trading sessions, you've got these corn trading at 525. You know, and so 525 is nothing to scoff at. Yeah, you've made the point. I've been following you on uh, on Twitter. You've made the point that even though prices are down, look at where they're at. And not that long ago, we'd have been very happy with these prices where they are right now. 
Right. And I, you know, my perspective is a, is a very interesting thing. And whenever it comes to marketing, uh, if you don't keep your perspective, I, I think you're missing the point. And so I guess what I'm getting at is, uh, you know, if you take five and a quarter minus your basis times the kind of yield you're expecting right now, uh, in our part of the world, uh, where you're at over to, to me and in, in a lot of the Eastern Corn Belt, you're going to be looking at some awfully good profit margins. I know that's not the case for everyone, but my point is that if, if that is the case for you, obviously most folks are, uh, you know, in a situation where they're uh, buying crop insurance. They know that they've got some insured bushels. Uh, we've got to be cognizant of the fact that uh, uh, these prices are very profitable. Historically speaking, extremely profitable. I mean, we're $2 higher than where we were uh, for part of the year last year. And so, uh, I don't want to uh, snub my nose just simply due to the fact that we're a dollar off the high. Uh, we just can't expect to raise a huge crop and, and hit the high of the market, a multi-year high. It's just, it's just not something that we're typically going to ever do in our careers. Talking with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. So we wait for next week's report. We expect more acres, obviously, USDA to acknowledge. Uh, but here's the question. I mean, we know that that Western Corn Belt is going to be down. I mean, they've been dry. They've been dry for a long time. They're still dry. Do you see how much impact do you see that having on the overall crop this year, or do you see it being good enough in the eastern corn belt to make up for it? That's an awesome question, and it's uh, something that we're all going to be struggling with for quite some time. I guess the way that I look at it is, you know, we got to remember. You know, if we get a big acreage bump, Mike, you know, you and I both know a lot of that's coming from the quadrant that you just talked about. Uh, from the northwestern part of the Corn Belt, a lot of uh, acres coming out of the, Deco- uh, the Dakotas. I mean, we're going to get more corn acres, and that happens to be the area that's really getting hurt. And so I guess my uh, thought process here is that uh, we, we have to be uh, careful to assume, you know, that just because we've got, for instance, uh, maybe a state like Illinois, uh, possible, um, you know, pushing record yields uh, on a statewide basis. That doesn't mean that we're still going to be looking at a national yield, uh, you know, even in the high 170s. So at this stage of the game, I think we really struggle uh, to break an all-time record yield. I don't know that we get uh, to 177 or 8 uh, simply due to the fact that we're going to have some really, really uh, uh, tough times in part of the Corn Belt if this weather doesn't change in short order. Yeah, so USDA probably comes out with higher acre numbers next week, but uh, it depends on where those acres are and what kind of weather they're having, how much of an impact that that will have. So when we look at that big picture, with the, our production still in question, the overall production, and uh, we're still doing a lot of business and stocks are tied, I mean, the fundamentals are still strong, right? Yeah, the fundamentals are still pretty strong, uh, but, you know, in all reality, I think you struggle to make new uh, highs. You know, I don't know that you're going to go uh, up and, and hit 650 corn necessarily this year, you know, unless you would happen to turn off uh, extremely hot and dry uh, in more areas than just the ones that are experiencing it right now. Does that mean that this market's over with? I don't believe so. And so I guess, uh, you know, the thing is, it's really hard to figure out. I know that you know, we can talk circles around this all day long. So, so I can tell you this, as a producer, what you have to understand is how does today's prices impact my bottom line? And I need to be looking at that on a consistent basis. And after getting a two-inch rain, my bottom line has changed significantly uh, because most likely I'm going to be able to add bushels, which lowers my break-even price. And so 
I want to look at my farm as a standalone, and that's how I want to market it from here forward. Try to tune out the noise and, uh, you know, maximize my ROI, uh, and you're going to do that by selling profitable uh, bushels. So let me ask you this, uh, for those of you that are in your business, the forecasting business, I mean, we go back to last August, no one saw the rally coming then, so how do we know or, you know, what percentages do we put on our, our ability to predict when it, when it's over? Uh, another great question, and, and here's how I'm going to answer it. Uh, you know, we're early in the marketing year. You know, so if I'm a producer that doesn't feel good about production right now, you, you've got to understand that we're looking at extremely tight carryout levels for both old crop and new crop. Uh, we're probably not going to fix our situation in one year. And so it is early in the marketing year. With that being said, if I'm a producer uh, who looks like maybe a, my average yield, you know, typically maybe it's 180, maybe it's 200, maybe I'm looking at two and a quarter or 230 right now, though, um, you know, potentially. I know we're still early in the year, but whenever you start to dial up those numbers a little bit, uh, to me, Selling at a price level you haven't seen in several years, especially prior to harvest, is, is very good business. Okay, What potential levels might you get to? I always struggle to get over 50% of my APH, which is a pretty conservative uh, yield estimate. 50% of my APH before uh, pollination is I don't want to get above that, and that's the maximum I would get to. Uh, now, with that being said, as a group, uh, ag market's at 50%. But we also have covered our sales this year because uh, we felt like every sale we made, we had potential to go higher. Uh, with that being said, once you get out past pollination, you know, some of those re-ownership strategies might start to wane just a little bit uh, due to the fact that we're going to really be able to quantify the crop. So I don't want to get over 50%, and I sure don't uh, blame anyone for thinking about it. It's just that uh, sometimes that can really bite you. As you said, we're early in the year. Real quick, how about selling next year already? Should they be looking at some of those prices? We definitely, uh, we're, we're talking to producers about getting some on the books above $5, but we got to remember, you know, whenever we were worried uh, about input prices due to the fact that corn may rally substantially, you can only lock one side of the thing in, unfortunately, at that time. So we didn't get super aggressive. I did uh, definitely like uh, selling, and I still do, uh, no 22 beans, $12 and above, I think makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's profitable, and I think that uh, getting a percentage on there makes sense. All right, Matt, good to talk with you, and good to have you back from your trip to Alaska. Good to talk with you. Stay in touch. We'll Absolutely. talk again after the big report next week. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Up next, we take a look at our pork exports, especially what's going on with China and that part of the world, what are the uh, market prospects there moving forward? We'll talk with the economists for the U.S. Meat Export Federation next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and, if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. 
The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patient's need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project, so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this, or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association with us. All right, the Department of Agriculture is unveiling three proposed rules that they say will strengthen enforcement of the Packers and Stockyards Act. Any concerns about what you're seeing and hearing on this? We do have some concerns, especially in regards to revisiting the old GYPSA rule. And all of your listeners who have had any sort of engagement with the cattle industry over the past decade will remember the big fight that that brought forward. And just as a recap, the original GYPSA rule that was a result of the 2008 Farm Bill and ended up manifesting itself in the 2010 rule that uh, we then spent a lot of time and effort fighting, basically would put USDA in the driver's seat in determining how producers can or cannot market their cattle. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy to listen to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best thought leaders. You'll have a front row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. 
You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Want to reduce your risk of developing cancer? A healthy diet can help. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Toby Smithson. It's been proven that a healthy lifestyle and early detection can prevent nearly half of all cancer deaths. So eat right. Choose a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables every meal. Look for foods low in calories, fat, and sodium. And maintain a healthy weight. A registered dietitian nutritionist can help. Find one at eatright.org. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, just got uh, the news on the Supreme Court RFS ruling. We're going to have much, much more on this coming up on Monday, but uh, we just received word of that decision and a coalition of renewable fuel and farm groups expressing extreme disappointment in the U.S. Supreme Court decision overturning a 2020 appellate court ruling that struck down three small refinery exemptions granted by previous EPA administrators. So the the, the much-anticipated Supreme Court ruling has gone against the biofuels industry on those uh, RFS waivers, and we're going to get much more reaction coming up on Monday from the biofuels industry. All right, right now we're talking pork exports with Aaron Bohr, economist for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Aaron, thank you for joining us. So much focus on China and that part of the world when it comes to our exports. What can you tell us? Where are we with pork exports, and what do you see ahead? All right, yes, thanks, Mike. Well, we are seeing some shifting, which is not unexpected, and fortunately, we are well positioned. So, uh, for example, the biggest change that's underway right now is obviously in China, where we've seen that live hog price go from about 250 U.S. at the start of the year to about 90 cents this week, and dropping below producer break-evens, which are closer to $1.20, $1.30. And their Dalian hog futures market says that prices will be back closer to that break-even range by September or November. So perhaps see a bounce in the later part of the year, which coincides, of course, with Chinese New Year demand as well. But at the moment, a very hard break in the Chinese market. And so with that, um, we are seeing an increase in European products primarily being available and at lower prices, mostly in the other Asian markets. And we've seen these shifts before. Most rememberable is when Russia suspended imports of European pork, ironically due to ASF back in early 2014. And so we know from experience that it immediately means more European product in what I think of as our markets, um, but especially in these other Asian markets. So, um, the good news is that we are well positioned here in the Western Hemisphere and seeing really strong demand out of Mexico, uh, most importantly, and most importantly, too, because Mexico and China take similar items. So those hams uh, have always gone heavily into Mexico, and China was a competing bid there. They still are, but to a lesser degree. Uh, so it's critically important that Mexico's offtake is strong. 
And for example, in the weekly export data, we saw shipments to Mexico for the past two weeks, so June 4 to 17, at 15, more than 15,000 tons per week. And China dropped back to around 8,000 tons per week in those two weeks. And that compares to both of those markets, each averaging about 12,000 tons per week if we look at January through May. And so, again, you're seeing that shift underway. And the good thing here, too, is that it really is Mexican demand. So Mexico's hog prices are at record levels. They jumped in April and moved even higher in May. And we understand they have some disease challenges uh, through the winter and spring, and so there's that supply hole. And it's also important to remember that consumption in Mexico per cap had taken a hit, at least if we look at the balance sheet, um, as they also shipped more to China, as did we. And then you can also remember the retaliatory tariffs, the metal tariffs that hit the trade for a while there back in 2018-19. So there are lots of reasons why we can regrow Mexican pork consumption, um, as well as the supply tightness on top of that. So that's probably most important. But we're also shipping a lot more into Central and South America and the Dominican Republic. So I'm focusing on this Western Hemisphere because we typically see much less competition out of Europe, and we have heavy market share into these regions and room to grow consumption, and in some cases, rebuild consumption. So that is um, you know, a heavy offset to this slowdown into China for the U.S. So China's important. We don't we don't underestimate that. But as you point out, there are a lot of other key markets around the world, right? Yeah, exactly. And so what where that puts us is uh, we have our exports this year up slightly from last year's record, and that includes a big slowdown into China of ten percent, and you know, we could see a pullback of even more than that into China, given where their hog prices have fallen to so fast. And I can still get us offsetting with growth into these other markets. And again, it's not, it's, it's a rebuilding and it's also going back to kind of consumption growth that we were seeing prior to ASF in China. So the other thing we have to remember is that China did pull product away from the rest of the world and also from major exporter consumption, except in the United States. So uh, we also have the tremendous benefit of this incredibly robust domestic market, and that really sets us apart from the other major exporters. So, for example, Canada's per capita consumption, again, on a balance sheet basis, fell by 15% last year. So we've been backfilling some of that into Canada. That continues this year um, as they had shipped more to China. They're shipping less to China. They have a lot of plants suspended, and then, of course, now the market slowdown in general. Um, but still, big room to rebuild Canadian consumption. Uh, European per cap consumption has also fallen. Hopefully, they eat more meat in Europe again, and it's barbecue season there, too, uh, also coming out of lockdown. So this is finally helping to support some in the European market as well. Um, and then Brazil, you know, challenging situations in South America, uh, but they're, they also pulled product away from their domestic market to be able to ship more to China. So... Domestic markets in these major exporting countries got shorted, except for the U.S., and other major importing customers have also gotten shorted. So another good example is in Japan, um, we were on with our team earlier this week, and they were showing us uh, Japanese press talking about the pork shop. So talking about high prices for U.S. pork, of course, we always make all the headlines. 
And, and so you also have Mexico coming out this morning, uh, kind of a similar line, introducing new tariff-free quotas for poultry, pork, and beef. I think a lot of limited impact. So a lot, a lot of opportunities, yeah. That wraps it up for today. Thanks for joining us here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.